I'd like to begin a series today and for several Sundays to follow on this topic. What grace is this? There are four verses in the New Testament with the phrase, this grace. Each is written by the Apostle Paul. They identify four areas of the grace of God at work in a believer's life. We're going to start today with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, deals with the subject of amazing grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, available grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, covers abundant grace. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, addresses abiding grace. As I said, we're going to spend the next few Sundays looking at these four topics. But if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 for our text today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul never got over the amazement of this grace and how God both saved him and called him into his service. The apostle knew his salvation and service was initiated by the gift of God's grace and continued by the working of the power of the Spirit of God. This phrase that he uses, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is one of the expressions peculiar to Paul who wishes to emphatically convey his thoughts about this particular matter. The word he uses here doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. So if we put this another way, we could say without harming the text, unto me who am incomparably the least of all saints, or unto me who am not worthy to be reckoned among the saints. Paul considered himself to have no qualifications for the mission God had given him. He ranked himself last on the list of applicants. But God chooses by different criteria than we do. He didn't search out Paul's resume to determine if he could do the job. No, God in love called Paul and gave him the opportunity to preach the wondrous gospel message to the Gentiles in the reaches beyond And he was able to present the unsearchable riches of Christ to countless numbers. However, I believe this opportunity came as a result of Paul's unending gratitude for God's great gift of salvation and his desire to share this good news with others. This statement, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is expressive of Paul's deep humility in view of God's incomparable and inexplicable grace. There were likely many reasons he felt the way he did about this, but this morning we'll consider three such thoughts. The first would be, believe he considered himself unworthy because of the sinfulness of his past. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. We'll have you turn to three different passages of Scripture this morning, one for each of these points. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
like Paul, none of us deserve this wondrous gift of grace and salvation. We're all a bunch of sinners and we deserve to go to hell. The fact of the matter, everyone born into this world deserves nothing better than hell. But God in his abundant grace and mercy saved us and has allowed us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God in his love and mercy that allowed Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And it was this wondrous, amazing grace that has made the gospel message available to whosoever will. Paul recognized his lost condition. He wasn't fooling anybody. He said, I know what I was before I got saved. First Timothy chapter 1, notice verse 13, just up a couple of verses here. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I knew I was a sinner. I know I had nothing to offer God, but God in his grace and his mercy invited me to receive Christ as Savior. And as a result, I'm on my way to heaven. My sins are forgiven. I have a home in glory and the promise of eternal life with him. What a blessing to know this is amazing grace because that offer has not only been made to certain few, but it's made to whosoever will. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're very familiar with John chapter 3 verse 16, but consider the verses before and following that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. God's message of salvation is available to everyone. The problem is folks think, well, I'm doing okay. I'm religious. I'm living a good life. I'm doing the best I can. But this passage says, no, all men everywhere are condemned and separated, alienated from God. And it was Jesus who came not to condemn us, not to push us deeper into a hole, but no, to lift us up and set our feet on a solid rock and give us a new song and a new hope and a new home. It is that amazing grace that has made God's wondrous gift of salvation available to anyone and everyone. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Oh, such amazing grace. I don't believe Paul ever got over his salvation story. And I don't believe we should either. Every one of us who know Jesus Christ is our Savior, that is a day we should never forget. 
You might not remember the exact day. You might not remember the exact time. But all you ought to be certain that there was a time in your life when you saw yourself lost and on your way to hell. You repented of your sin and you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trusting in Him and Him alone for your salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John Newton was a wicked and immoral man before his conversion. He was active in the slave trade that he would later work to outlaw. But Newton, when he was on his way home to England from Africa, a storm nearly sank his ship, and he cried out to God for mercy. He eventually became a faithful pastor in only England, and he wrote the poem that we now know as the hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. A friend who visited John Newton just before his death recorded some of his final words. This is one of the things Newton told his friend shortly before he died. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I remember that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Those are two truths we should never allow to slip from the portals of our memory. No doubt Paul believed himself to be the least of all saints because of the sinful life which he lived before he was saved. That's why he would say unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. We see another reason Paul believed himself unworthy. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet, to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, not only Paul count himself unworthy of this amazing grace because of the sinfulness of his past, but because of the guilt of his persecution of the church and of Christ. I don't believe Paul ever forgot the activities of his former life, his days before he became a Christian. Those days when he was engaged in persecuting the church of God. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. The scripture tells us when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This is in reference to Stephen when he preached to the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem. It said, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
Paul gladly consented to the death, the execution of this great believer. He witnessed it. He was encouraged by it. I believe he was motivated by it to engage in persecuting the church. For in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Notice verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Paul actively took steps to persecute the church of God. If we were there in that situation, as Paul carried out his activities against believers, It would be like Paul and others bursting through those doors, coming in here, physically apprehending us and leading us out, taking us to jail or worse. You know, that happens in many, many places in the world today. Christians are persecuted for their faith in Christ. Paul set a very powerful example for the enemies of the cross. So much so that Acts chapter 9 verse 5, it goes on to say, when he was on the road to Damascus, and uh, he is stricken with this bright light, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You see, as Paul persecuted the people of God, he also persecuted the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those who stand against Christianity stand against the Christ of Christianity. Those who oppose the church of God are anti-God. Those who are enemies of Christians are also enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord himself made it clear to Paul, you are persecuting me. And the fact that he spoke from heaven, Saul recognized that this was the voice of God, and he revealed himself to be Jesus to Paul. And it was at that time that he was converted and received Christ as his Savior and became a great advocate as we know, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of those actions and activities that Paul committed against believers, I don't believe he ever forgot about that. I think as he endured persecution and suffering and imprisonment and hardship, he was reminded that this is what he did to others. And I don't think he ever got over that. And I think he was amazed at the grace of God and that God would forgive him even though he did all those horrible things against Christians, now he himself is forgiven and is serving the Lord. I don't think he ever got over that grace that would be so great that it would forgive him of these actions and activities against believers. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me 
was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He said, I know where I came from. I know what I was. I remember what I did. And because of that, I will labor harder and be more diligent in my witness for Christ. I made it hard on people to be saved. Now I'm going to do my best to make sure they hear the truth no matter what comes my way. And Paul felt himself unworthy of the task because of how he treated Christians in the past. Now God saved him and called him and has given him an opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. We were not all friends of Christ before we got saved. Some of us here today had harsh words and may have committed unkind acts toward Christians that we knew before we got saved. Though we remember those things, they're still under the blood. They're in the past. They're forgiven. It is our duty, our responsibility to be faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ that we in turn might win some. Now Paul considered himself to be the least of all saints because of his sinful condition before he got saved. Because of the guilt of his persecuting the church and believers. And thirdly, because of the lack of holiness in his life. Romans chapter 7 Verses 14 through 19. Turn there. I'd like you to see this if you would. As I mentioned, he he felt this way because of his lack of holiness. You say, "Well, well, Paul was one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, Pastor. Why would you say that? Paul reveals a very descript truth about himself. And if each of us were as honest as Paul in this text, we would say we have the same struggles and problems that he revealed. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. Paul said, as much as I want to live for Christ, as much as I want to be a holy, godly individual, as much as I want to eliminate sin from every area of my life, he said, I still struggle with the flesh. Yes, we have to be concerned about the devil and all of his activities and uh, interest in the world today. Yes, we need to be concerned about the world and this vile, wicked craziness that we see going on in the world today. But beloved, we have more to be concerned about because the greatest enemy for every one of us is the person upon whom we gaze when we look in the mirror every day. Your biggest problem is you. My biggest enemy is me. It's the flesh. It is that vile, wicked, fallen nature, the Adamic nature, the sinful nature, the old man that creates so much problem for you and for me. I am my biggest enemy. Paul understood that. He said, I want to do right, but so many times I don't. He said, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to accomplish, I fail in. 
That's why to the Corinthians he wrote in chapter 9, verse 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Oh, when we look at ourselves through our own eyes, we look pretty good. But when we look at ourselves, if you will, through the eyes of Christ and through Scripture, we find we fall far, far short in this matter of holiness and godly living. If I could paraphrase a very popular quote and put it this way, I have met the enemy and he is me. The only way to combat the flesh is by being filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. This means to yield ourselves, submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. You know, our Lord gave us that example to follow in his great high priestly prayer. Prior to his crucifixion, he knew what was ahead. He knew the shadow of the cross loomed over him even while he prayed. He said, Father, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thine be done. To be spirit-filled means to follow God's will for our lives and say, yes, Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm fine with. Yes, Lord, wherever you tell me to go, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will be what you want me to be. How do we accomplish that? James addressed it when he said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. All that we would learn to trust the Lord and submit ourselves to him and allow him to direct our paths on a daily basis. All we'd be able to reduce the impact of the flesh in our own lives and our daily activities. All the influence of the old man on our daily affairs would be minimized if we'd only learn to say, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, where do you want me to go today? When the sinner comprehends the truths of God's word, it doesn't give him a big head. No, instead, it gives us a grateful, broken, and contrite heart. It's when we come before the Lord in humility and trust in him that he raises us up. This is why God used Paul in such a great way. He knew he was a sinner, but saved by the grace of God to fulfill the will of the Lord in and through his life. Oh, there are struggles along the way. Each of us would have to admit that. But thanks be to God. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What a joy to know that our Lord, when we confess our sins, he forgives us, draws us unto himself, and uses us for his honor and his glory. David understood this great truth in Psalm 51 when he said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Paul, though satisfied 
with the way God was working in his life. Or to the Philippians, he wrote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, I'm content with much or with little. I don't believe he was ever satisfied with the level of maturity he had achieved as a Christian. Well, God help us never get to the point as Christians where we think we have grown enough. We've grown close enough to the Lord. We've reached that plateau of holiness and can go no farther. All know every day we can become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned that I don't believe Paul ever was satisfied with the level of maturity that he reached. This is based on Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, where he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Philippians he wrote, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He wrote these words near the end of his ministry. Philippians is a prison epistle. Here, he'd been serving the Lord for years, had seen God do great and mighty things, but he believed himself unworthy because he wasn't enough like the Lord in this matter of personal holiness. Paul said unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, no doubt for many reasons, but I believe it was because of these three things that we've looked at this morning, the sinfulness of his life before he was saved, the guilt of his persecution of believers, and his own carnality. Yea, as a Christian, saved on the way to heaven, loves God, but still had to deal with that old wicked flesh. Jesus warned his disciples saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul understood that great truth and did battle daily with it. Yes, the amazing grace of It's something that none of us should ever get over and always be grateful for. Let me close with this thought. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of some of the children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. However, it was incorrectly reported to Spurgeon that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. The next Sunday in his pulpit, Spurgeon blasted Parker. And at that time, Spurgeon's messages were published in the local papers, and uh, this one was no different. This attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. The next week, people flocked to Parker's church to see what his response would be to Spurgeon's accusations. That Sunday, Dr. Parker got up and said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. He opened the door, and there stood Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, You know, Parker, you've practiced grace on me. You've not given me what I deserved, but you've given me what I needed. Yes, it is the grace of God that gives us not what we deserve, 
but we so desperately need. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, God didn't give you what you deserved, but he gave you the gift of eternal life that you might spend an eternity with him. He showed each of us his mercy and grace the day he saved us. But what about the patience he demonstrated for the years prior to our coming to him? Have you ever wondered why God had so much patience with you when you deserve judgment? Then we shouldn't wonder why God demonstrates so much mercy on the world today. We still have the responsibility of telling others about this amazing grace and share with them this message that Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Someone had said this world's blessings are temporal, but God's blessings will last forever. And certainly, this gift of such amazing grace is eternal. What grace is this?